As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities so we're back from our trip and i have covid so that's fun (laughs) it's uh it's been an interesting few days yeah it has been and we actually tried to set up a recording system so that i could record in the bedroom and kat could record uh from the master bedroom or the uh, guest bedroom Limiting her access to me, but technical issues couldn't do it. So Kat is actually in the same room with me, mm-hmm. risking her life yep. for the podcast. For you. <laughs> You're so great. I appreciate you. Well, I figure probably, you know, if I was going to get it, I probably would have by now. And maybe that's not like medically sound, but <laughs> it's just how I feel. Yeah. And uh, like I was talking to my mom yesterday and she was like, you know, I'm really surprised because if if he has it, I would imagine that you would have it. And and I was like, I know. And she said, well, especially because you guys are always touching noses. And I was like, right. And genitals. Fairly certain that's not how it's transmitted. But uh <laughs> Any hoozle, uh, I'm actually not feeling too bad. In in fact, uh, and I'm grateful that uh, that I went ahead and got the vaccine booster before we went because it could have been so much worse. Right, and it was required. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but I also feel pretty good knowing that um, my Camp Lejeune settlement has been cleared. And oh my gosh, how many emails have you received about your Camp Lejeune settlement? I get, I'm not exaggerating, probably 20 junk emails a day telling me how this is the last chance to uh, to get my share of mm-hmm. the settlement from Camp Lejeune. Am I the only person that's getting like 80,000 of these a day? Right. And how much time did you spend in Camp Lejeune? Uh, zero. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's just a U.S. thing. It, it has to be. Probably people who listen to us overseas are going, what? 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 Now, I, I, and fair enough. Yeah. Good for you. After spending a little time in Spain, I got to tell you, good for you. Yeah, let me let me just say this: if these emails continue, I'm um, I'm considering leaving and uh, becoming an expat. Anyway, I got a story for you if you're interested. For centuries, there's been a persistent story that has been passed down 
by the Paiute Indian tribe. It has both mystified and horrified people for generations. Could it possibly be true? Could there have been a race of red-haired giant cannibals mm. that roamed the southwestern plains of what is now the United States? Could it be? The Paiutes called these people the Sitaka, and the legend goes like this. The Sitaka were a people said to be of giant stature. They were said to have bright red hair, and they were known to be extremely aggressive and were cannibalistic. Ooh. The Sitaka would wage raids and battles against the other native peoples like uh, the Paiute. Now, okay, let me, let me ask you this. If they were giants, wouldn't they have giant bones? Yes. Yes, they would. One would assume. All right. Where, where are the giant bones? Well, you know, you're getting way ahead of me here. Oh, okay. For generations, these were the dominant peoples of the area. It became well known that after the battle, the Sitaka would collect the corpses of the slain enemies, cook them, and eat them. Oof. Yeah. Now, the practice of eating your enemy is not unheard of. Right. Many cannibalistic cultures did this, believing that they, if they ate their enemies' remains, they would absorb their energies and their power. Right. As time went on, it seemed as though the Sitaka started to develop a preference for the taste of human flesh. In her 1882 book, Life Among the Paiutes, Sarah Winnemucca Hopkins, the daughter of the Paiute, the Paiute chief, Winnemucca said that these beings developed such a lust for human flesh and it was so powerful that they would rob the tribal burial grounds and eat the corpses. Why is it we only use the word lust related to sexual stuff or cannibalism? Interesting question. <laughs> Sarah Winnemucca Hopkins was elderly at the time that she wrote her book and she was not certain of the pre uh, precise date, but according to oral history, the Paiute ancestors were able to wipe out the last of the giant red-headed cannibals. They eliminated them. The Paiutes weren't the only tribe that uh, were feasted upon by the red-headed giant cannibals. After years of being picked off and consumed, legend has it that all the tribes in the area banded together to rid themselves once and for all of the Sitika. Now, the name Sitika translates literally to Thule eaters in the language of the northern Paiute. The Thule being referenced is a fibrous water plant. It's kind of like a reed. Uh, once the Paiute organized attacks against them and started driving them back, they retreated to the far side of the lake on rafts that they made by weaving the Thule plants together. They used those rafts to cross the lake, Lake Lahoten. During the Ice Age, the lake covered most of northern Nevada, but at this point it was much, much smaller. Now, once on the other side of the lake, the Sitika found very few provisions to sustain them, and so they resorted to eating their rafts, which is how the name came to be, raft or the uh, Thule eaters. That's according to Paiute legend. Now, once on the far side of the lake, they found themselves trapped, and that coalition of tribes that got together uh, circumnavigated the lake and they cornered them. Shooting arrows, they killed the majority of the giant red-headed cannibals. And the few that remained retreated to a cave that is now known as Lovelock Cave in Nevada. The Paiutes, legend has, trapped inside the cave and then they lit a giant fire at the entrance. Occasionally, 
one or two of the Sitika would try to escape and they would be picked off by arrows. The vast majority stayed in the cave and they were either asphyxiated or burned alive. That was the end of the Sitika, according to Paiute legend. Over time, the entrance of the cave collapsed because of of seismic activity. Lovelock Cave is also known as Bat Cave, uh, Sunset Guano Cave. Which makes sense if it's also known as Bat Cave. Yes, Indian Cave and Horseshoe Cave. And it's located about 20 miles south of Lovelock, Nevada. It predates humans on the North American continent And it was actually underneath that lake, Lahotan, during prehistoric times. But is there any evidence to your question that this was a real incident? Mm -hmm. So back in 1886, a man named John T. Reed, who was a mining engineer, heard the story from the local native peoples. He scoffed at the story, saying, yeah, that's a cool story, bro. But uh, they took him. To the cave to prove that it existed. Now, his idea was to get in there and start an archaeological dig, but for whatever reason, he wasn't able to do so. Too much guano? That was one of the reasons. In fact, two miners named James Hart and David Pugh discovered the cave was so full of guano, and knowing that guano is an ingredient an important ingredient in the gunpowder that they were manufacturing at the time, they formed a company to dig out the guano. The digging began in 1911, and they stripped the cave floor about three to six feet deep from guano using pick and shovel. They didn't pay much attention to the artifacts that they found. They just kind of tossed them aside. Mm -hmm. But as their artifact finds began to pile up, they contacted the University of California Anthropology Department. And that's when the first official archaeological dig started. It took place in 1912 and was led by a guy named L.L. Loud from the University of California. A second dig took place in 1924 after they had exhausted the cave of all the guano and their report was published in 1929. Here's what they found. They found approximately 10,000 archaeological items that included bones, baskets, tools, and weapons. Some of these artifacts, particularly some of the uh, vegetation that they found, dated back more than 4,000 years And it was estimated that this culture thrived for some 3,000 years, and ultimately, the Paiutes replaced them. So it kind of lines up with the the legend that there was a people there that the Paiutes replaced one way or another. Mm -hmm. During the initial excavation, there were reports of two mummified remains that had been found that had red hair. One was a female who was 6.5 feet tall, estimated, and the other was a male slightly taller than eight feet. However, other than this official report, there is no evidence. If, in fact, they did find these mummies, they somehow have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Then in 1931, the Nevada Review Miner published an article reporting that two very large skeletons had been found in the Humboldt Dry Lake bed near Lovelock. This is not the cave but in that same area. Okay. One of these skeletons, according to the newspaper article, measured 8.5 feet, and it was said to be wrapped in a gum-covered fabric similar to what you would see with an Egyptian mummy. Okay. 
The second skeleton, they claimed, was close to 10 feet tall. What? Also among the artifacts that were found in the cave was a sandal. And the sandal is about 15 inches long. Other evidence includes a set of images showing a handprint. You've seen that sort of thing before inside caves where people would put their hand against the wall and then paint around it and create like a negative space. It's fairly common, except this hand was double the size of a normal man's hand. Oh. It's imprinted on a stone boulder inside Lovelock Cave. Now, it's interesting to note that near Lake Titicaca, (laughs) along the uh, Bolivia-Peru border, they have discovered large elongated skulls with red hair. Who, who has discovered? And where are they now? Can I see them in a museum? Yes. Actually, yes, you can see those. I'm not sure what museum, but I have seen pictures of it online. And uh, they were discovered by archaeologists. According to the Uros native tribes, these giants made reed boats and lived on islands on Lake Titicaca, similar to the Paiute story. Their legend is very similar in that the Incas drove these giants to live on the island, much the same as the Paiute ancestor story uh, did with the giants at Lake Lahotan. But if they're giants, shouldn't they be able to be the bosses of where they live? Not if you're eating people. You know, I think that limits your housing options. Yeah, but if you're eating people, don't you get to be the boss of where you live? (laughs) Not if your food outnumbers you by vast numbers. All right. Now, many of the artifacts original to the Lovelock dig can be viewed at the Natural History Museum located in Winnemucca, Nevada. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, none of the artifacts are mummies. (laughs) If they did exist, no one knows what became of them. Mm Mm-hmm. I have read so many articles about how giant skeletons have been discovered all over the North American continent and that the Smithsonian is suppressing that. Why would they do that? Because it goes against the uh, what's accepted to be as the norm. It kind of shakes up everything that we believe. Isn't that what makes science exciting? One would think, yes. It certainly is exciting for me. Many artifacts, like the earliest duck decoys that have ever been discovered, were in that cave, as well as baskets and bones. They're housed at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. Regardless, giants or no giants, Lovelock Cave is considered significant because it's an example of of archaeological evidence confirming a legend. In this case, a legend which elders have been passing along to their children for generations. Lovelock Cave was officially designated a historical site in 1984. My source information, Ancient Origins, Smithsonian, and Wikipedia. I still have questions about, like, so there are no bones to be seen at museums, but artifacts related to the people that they think had the bones. Right. I think the giant sandal, you can view that at the Natural History Museum. (laughs) Okay. It's like 15 inches. Uh Uh-huh. So that's that's a big foot. I mean, sure, if it was on a foot, (laughs) but a sandal is not proof of a foot. Are you suggesting that they made giant sandals as decorations? I don't know. I've seen some really weird bathroom decorations that involve (laughs) flip-flops. I think the idea that there could have been redheaded cannibalistic giants just scares you and you refuse to even look at the evidence. That is a really interesting and stupid theory. (laughs) (laughs) Any hoozle, giants are real. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. 
I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Recently, a Swedish couple named their newborn child, and bear with me while I spell it, B-R-F-X-X-C-C-X-X-M-N-P-C-C-C-L-L-L-M-N-N-P-R-X-V-C-L-M-N-C-K-S-S-Q-L-B-B-1111116. His name is pronounced Albin. Casey sent us an email. Okay, I'm behind and listening out of order, so this may have been addressed already. But 
As I was listening to Box 134, JG was talking about Alexander Graham Bell being anti-deaf, trying to outlaw sign language and making the marriage to and making marriage to deaf people illegal. I was screaming. AGB's mother and wife were deaf. What the fuck is wrong with this man? I was yelling at JG while he was talking about this. Alexander Graham Bell just pisses me off. (laughs) That's fair enough. Okay, I'm a sign language interpreter for amazing deaf children in school, and this gets me in an uproar every time I hear about it. I'm better now. Thanks for keeping me company as I get ready in the mornings and on the drive to and from work. Flying my freak flag very proudly. Thank you, Casey. And sorry about AGB. What a dank. We got this message from Chantel on Facebook. So I was listening to, I think, Box 123. I could be totally lying. I was off my tits on painkillers as I dislocated my shoulder. (laughs) And you were talking about gibbets. And I wanted to tell you about a pub about a mile away from my house. It was the hanging site of a bloke that got caught stealing. And he was gibbeted for 36 years. Holy crap. The pub now has a mock gibbet on display outside with a mock body. Fun fact, I had no fucking idea what a gibbet was and never made the connection between the name of the pub and the gibbet, so I learned something. Here's a link with the history and stuff and some pics, and it is wildly upsetting, by the way. Thank you so much, Chantel. Also, she said some nice things about how we helped her getting a promotion and stuff, and she oh. had, you know, we're, we have a good effect on people with mental illness issues and PTSD, which I think is great, and especially because I have those things, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's nice. Yeah. I'm with you on that. That one sister. <laughs> also on the Freaks group, uh, he wrote, listening to the shallow end and Jethro brought up the Cheddar Man and said that Cheddar is in France. Stinky lot, those French moving Cheddar from Somerset County, England without asking permission. Yeah. And then he wrote, oh, and Cheddar Man was homo sapien, not Neanderthal. Yeah, okay, I was, you're right. I you was, were spitballing. I cheddar was, equals cheese, yeah, which makes you think of France. Sure. Sure. And I was I was call, recalling from memory an episode that I did on the box. When was that? Like 350 episodes ago. I don't know. And my memory's not as great as it should be. Mm. So I apologize for that. I think it's important that uh, people do call us out on things like that because yeah. it's, you know, I do my best to <laughs> relay correct information. However, I am really dumb and so it's (laughs) (laughs) no no we do in all seriousness we we do appreciate that we try to keep things as factual as factual as we can unless we're talking about giants i guess no i'm reporting the facts there giants are real (laughs) want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the podcast that reminds you of your childhood and the joys of the holiday season. The family fights at the table, drunk Aunt Jean passing out under the tree, Socks for presents, having to go to church and pretending to like it. You know what? Fuck the holiday season. This is The Box of Oddities. Hey, if you want to feel really dumb, I want to tell you about Marilyn Vossavant. Okay. Marilyn was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1946. We're going to call her MVS from now on, or Marilyn, or Mare Bear. I'm not, you know, I haven't decided yet. She was born to mother Mariana Vossavant and Joseph Mock. And from a very young age, her parents noticed that she had a real aptitude for math and science. She was doing okay as far as the brain working goes. Now, her parents made sure that she maintained an average upbringing, so they kept to themselves how much of an aptitude she was showing. And as she aged, it was like, whew, this kid has something special going on in her brain parts. As a teenager, MVS worked in her father's general store, and later... She said that her parents were really focused on their family just earning a living and that no one really paid a whole lot of attention to her, even though she was incredibly smart and she was showing all of this promise. But she also said that a lot of the indifference to her incredible intelligence, even as a young person, was because she was a girl. As Marilyn got older, she started writing for a local newspaper using pseudonyms because, one, she was a teenage girl and she wanted to be taken seriously, and again, to maintain anonymity. But as Marilyn aged, it became more and more apparent she was special. At the age of 10... She was given two intelligence tests, the Stanford Binet test and the Mega test. Both made it clear Marilyn was exceptional. She scored a 228 on the Stanford Binet test. Whoa. That not only puts her far above the average of 90 to 109, yeah, yeah. but 88 points higher than genius level. She was recognized as having the highest IQ score ever recorded for a child. And she was how old at this point? Ten. Oh, my God. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I feel even dumber now. Right? But isn't it, at the same time, isn't it delightful knowing how much smarter people can be than you? Like, doesn't that... It gives me hope. <laughs> isn't it somehow, like, I don't know, it fills me with excitement. Like, I'm jazzed. Like, how can you... Pop, like, that brain, right? Mm. Anyway. Savant maintained that uh, even though these tests were showing that she was like off the charts, that uh, measuring intelligence, that attempts to measure intelligence were useless. And she rejected IQ tests as being unreliable, Hmm. which seems like something a very smart person would do. (laughs) 
It's also interesting to note that her last name is Vos Savant. Isn't that interesting? Now, the word savant means someone of learning. I think it actually translates like Latin or something. It means uh, learned one or something like that. And it actually appears twice in her family. Her grandmother's name was Savant. Her grandfather's name was Vos Savant. And she is a descendant of Austrian physicist and philosopher Ernst Mach who contributed to the physics of shock waves and the ratio of one speed to that of sound is named after Mach. It's called the Mach number. Of course, like Mach 4, Mach 5. Right. So that was one of her ancestors. Wow. Wow. So I think that it might be genetic, you guys. Mm -hmm. Marilyn went to Merrimack County College and later studied philosophy at Washington University in St. Louis. However, she dropped out after two years because she was bored and she was going (laughs) to help run the family's investment business. She wanted to have some life experience, I guess, and college just was not doing it for her. In the mid-1980s, she moved to New York City to follow her passion and become a writer. Vosavant wrote novels, short stories, and magazines, and newspaper pieces, mostly political satire under a pseudonym. But it was in 1985 when Guinness Book of World Records obtained her IQ scores from the Mega Society. And keep in mind, the Mega Society is a high IQ society open to people who have scored at the one in a million level on intelligence testing. Wow. So that's pretty interesting. And she was no longer anonymous. Guinness was like, look at this chick, right? And so Parade Magazine wrote a profile on her. Readers responded with so many letters so interested in this woman that Parade Magazine offered her a full-time job. Shortly thereafter, Marilyn started the column Ask Marilyn. And it was her job at Parade Magazine that got her the most publicity. She also appeared on uh, David Letterman's show, and it was a little uncomfortable. Um, There was just a real awkwardness, and I don't know exactly what was going on there, but I don't know. I will not be watching it again, I guess, is all I'm saying. Why? What happened? I don't know. It was just awkward and uncomfortable. Okay. But I think a lot of David Letterman's interviews were really awkward and uncomfortable, (laughs) so I guess, you know, it's probably not got anything to do with Marilyn. And many times that was by design. Like the Crispin Glover interview. I don't remember that. Check it out on YouTube. He got thrown off the David Letterman show. Oh. Yeah. Was that a bit or? Well, that's that's a good question. Uh, there were those who think it was a bit. There were those who think that Crispin Glover's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> and he almost kicked Letterman in the head. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, he was I guess... demonstrating his karate moves and he was wearing platform shoes. Why does that make me think of Dwight Schrute from The Office? It's very Dwight Schrute. Demonstrating Shrute. his karate moves. Yeah. Anyway, Marilyn wrote a piece about the Monty Hall problem. It was September 1990, and she answered this question from a reader. Suppose you're on a game show, and you're given the choice of three doors. Behind one door is a car. Behind the other doors, goats. (laughs) You pick a door, say door number one, and the host, who knows what's behind the other doors, opens another door, say door number three, which has a goat. He then says to you, do you want to pick door number two? Is it to your advantage to take the switch? Statistically, which choice would get you the car? So Marilyn answered, yes, you should switch. Really? She replied, the first door has a one in three chance of winning. 
but the second door has a two in three chance of winning. That answer would spur thousands of responses. Vos Savants estimates about 10,000, as a matter of fact. And of the critical letters she received, close to a thousand of them carried signatures with PhDs, and many were on letterheads of mathematics and science departments. Like, you blew it. You blew it big. Since you seem to have difficulty grasping the basic principles at work here, I'll explain. Uh After the host reveals the goat, you now have a one in two chance of being correct. Whether you change the selection or not, the odds are the same. There is enough mathematical illiteracy in this country, and we don't need the world's highest IQ propagating more. Shame. Oh, man. That letter came from Scott Smith, Ph.D. from the University of Florida. Charles Reed, also from the University of Florida, wrote, May I suggest you obtain and refer to a standard textbook on probability before you try to answer a question of this type again? Mm. I guess they had like a letter writing session. They were both so mad about it. They were like, let's get together in the cafeteria. We're going (laughs) to write letters to this lady. We're so mad. We're so mad. Don Edwards wrote, maybe women look at math problems differently than men. Okay. The problem was Vos Savant was right. Mm -hmm. Since two doors, one containing a car and the other a goat, remain after the host opens door number three, most would assume that the probability of selecting the car is one half. But this is not the case. The winning odds of one third on the first choice can't go up to one half just because the host opens a losing door. Monty Hall himself attested to this fact and conducted experiments and encouraged others to do the same to prove it, which they did. And MVS was proven to be right. Wow. Though Hall did clarify that things worked a little bit differently than the scenario presented by Parade, In the real show, for instance, he retained the authority to offer contestants cash not to switch. So the strict argument would be that the question can't be answered without knowing the motivation of the host. But that was not the argument her detractors were saying, and Marilyn commented on that. She said that ambiguity did exist in her original statement, and that it was a minor assumption that she should have made obvious by her analysis. But she said that didn't excuse her professional critics. I wouldn't have minded, she said, if they raised that objection, because it would mean they really understood the problem, but they never got beyond their first mistaken impression. And that's what dismayed me. She was dismayed. Why would you want to dismay the smartest woman in the world? I'm sorry, the smartest person in the world. Not only that, but do you have to be so shitty about it? That's the thing. You can be right and not a dickbag. Right. In fact, if you're being a dickbag, my thought is you're trying to hide something. (laughs) Maybe your own insecurity. Although most of the letter writers did not bother to send a retraction after they discovered that they were wrong, wrong, wrong. Mm -hmm. Dr. Sachs, who wrote one of the letters published in the column, was one of the few with the grace to concede his mistake. I wrote her another letter, Dr. Sachs said to New York Times, telling her that after I removed my foot from my mouth, (laughs) I'm now eating humble pie. Mm. I vowed as penance to answer all the people who wrote to castigate me. It's been an intense professional embarrassment. And I have to say to Dr. Sachs, 
well done, sir. Well done. That's all it takes is a shit. I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But so often people are so eager to put their opinions out there or state what they claim to be true. And once proven wrong, they just pretend like it never happened. That's right. Vos Savant, though, continued to be berated. I still think you're wrong, wrote one random dude about a year later. (laughs) There is such a thing as female logic, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Smartest person in the world. Anyway, the Monty Hall problem causes cognitive dissonance. It's a term that we've talked about before. It's to describe the mental stress that's caused by a person who has two contradictory ideas presented to them, one they already believe to be true, and if the other one is proving that to be untrue, it's so hard for some people to change their mind. It is. Because it's not just that simple. It's literally a brain function that you have to, like, practice. And it's hard. <laughs> it's it's so hard. It is hard. Uh, Marilyn Vossavant is 76 years old now. She lives in her husband. She lives with her husband. She lives with her husband in St. Louis. They've been married since 1987. His name is Robert K. Jarvik, and he is the surgeon who developed the mechanical artificial human heart. The Jarvik heart. Yeah. 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 All right. So, I mean, they're doing okay, and probably their kids are pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if you were one of their kids, that would be intimidating as shit. Absolutely. Mom, I just want to surf. <laughs> right? Just, I just want to go to California and ride the wave. Yeah, but do you know what the statistical probability of an accident while surfing <laughs> is? She seems actually really chill. And I think that that is a result of her being so smart mm. and knowing how smart she is. So often, we've talked about the Dunning-Kruger thing before, too. Um, It is a very smart person who will have the ability to understand how much they don't understand. Right. And it's those of lesser intelligence who commit to the idea that they know everything. Right. It's wild. Again, demonstrating their their insecurity. Yeah, that too. Anyway, there's MVS. Love her. Oh, also, there... uh, Guinness no longer hosts the world's smartest person thing anymore because it's so hard to test. So she will forever be the world's smartest person. At least officially. Yeah, according to Guinness. Okay. I got my information from the New York Times. I found an archived article, which is actually really cool because it was written just months after the Monty Hall problem article. It was really neat. Anyway, probability.california, Prince Economics, and biography.yourdictionary.com. Oh, and Wikipedia, obviously. Not an idiot. Hey, our sister podcast, The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toth, uh, just cleared a quarter million downloads. That is amazing, especially considering how much misinformation you share on it. I know. I know. It's (laughs) it's ridiculous. (laughs) We do the best we can. If you haven't checked it out yet, I'll put the link in the show notes for this episode of The Box of Oddities, or you can just go to the website shallowendpodcast.com and check it out there. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that The Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. 
theboxofoddities.com. On Facebook at facebook.com slash boxofodditiespodcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts hello everyone stakuyi here and i'm gabby And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.